Welcome to Generously Speaking, a podcast series developed by Capital Development Services, where we hear from area philanthropists, foundation executives, corporate leaders, and others who share their experience, insights, and ideas on the nature of generosity and philanthropic giving. Here are your hosts, Alan Burroughs and Claire Jordan. Here we are in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. In these changing, unusual times, we at Captive thought it important to have the insights and advice of major philanthropic leaders. That's why we at Captive are launching this podcast. We are bringing thought leaders in the nonprofit sector directly to you, since you cannot always come to them. We want to highlight generosity by speaking with those who can help share your stories of great philanthropy. In addition to the audio on our podcast recording, you can also access episode notes of these conversations on our website at capdev.com slash podcasts. Let's get started. Today's guest is Juan Austin, Senior VP for Corporate Philanthropy and Community Engagement for Wells Fargo. Juan and his team covers Wells Fargo's giving through four states and the District of Columbia. Juan has personally been involved in the banking world for 33 years at one institution, first Wachovia, now Wells Fargo, and has tremendous insights and knowledge and relationships throughout the states that he serves. We're excited to have him and his view shed of what's happening with Wells Fargo and their corporate philanthropy today and going forward in the COVID-19 epidemic. Juan, welcome to Generously Speaking. Well, thanks, Alan. I really appreciate this opportunity to spend a little time chatting with you and Claire about uh, how this pandemic is impacting all of us uh, across all of our communities. Well, you've mentioned already about this issue of pandemic, and this is our podcast series has been really pushed during this time to get out as quickly as we can several series. So thank you for your willingness to be a part of this conversation. Your long storied history with one banking institution, Wells Fargo, formerly known as Wachovia, and my personal relationship with you over the years as well. You've been a tremendous ambassador for the philanthropic sector and what you and the company has done for Wells. So thank you for that. Thank you again, Alan. You know, I've been uh, with previously Wachovia, now Wells Fargo for 33 years, and uh, it's the only company that I've ever really worked for. Uh, and so I feel like I've grown up with this company and um, I have fond memories of our support, of both the Carolinas, North and South Carolina, and certainly the work that my team is responsible for and in Virginia, D.C., and Maryland. Let me ask you, really, in relationship to Wells Fargo response to COVID-19, what is the bank doing, both in terms of the philanthropic perspective and from the general banking perspective, if you will? What's happening with Wells Fargo right now? Well, Alan, what I would say that in addition to the overwhelming public crisis of COVID-19, the economic ramification of the virus is playing out in homes, businesses, and communities across the globe. While public health officials are working diligently to control the virus, the financial services industry is working equally hard to restore the health of the economy. Wells Fargo has implemented a broad range of initiatives to help customers and communities during the COVID-19 crisis. Our CEO recently sent a communication out to our 200,000 plus team members that essentially said, thank you for working tirelessly to both support our customers as they face uncertain financial situations and for the work that they are doing to remain safe as possible while facing some of the same challenges that many folks across our communities are facing. Additionally, what I would say is that the only way that we get through this moment is together with flexibility, resolve, and collaboration. And, you know, we'll do our best to adapt to the needs of our communities. And our attempt is to expedite any grant making during the crisis to ensure that nonprofits 
receive their grants quickly to continue to do the valuable work in supporting the vulnerable in our community. I noted where Wells Fargo made a financial commitment nationally of $175 million to this issue. What a tremendous commitment. First and foremost, you're probably one of the, if not the largest gift of any financial institution towards the response of COVID-19. It's got to be one of the top. So thank you for that. How does that play in your territory? Or you just mentioned about being more accessible and amenable to helping the grantees you have. How do you see that working itself through your territory of D.C., Maryland, Virginia? North Carolina, South Carolina. Well, and Alan, thank you for for seeing that announcement. And uh, we're uh, certainly pleased to be able to offer that support um, to those that need it most. And so uh, we did accelerate $175 million in charitable donations to help address food, shelter, small business, and housing stability issues and help public health organizations who are on the front lines fighting to contain the spread of COVID-19. Of that $175 million, a million dollars went to Feeding America to support the 200 member affiliates and food banks across the country. We also provided a million dollars to the CDC Foundation to meet the emerging needs, including additional support for state and local health departments. And we provided $250,000 to the International Medical Corps for the work in 30 plus countries uh, with more than 7,000 public health workers deployed across the globe. Bringing that to the Carolinas, Virginia, D.C., and Maryland, we have repurposed all of our 2020 budgets. And so we will be contributing more than $27 million to local nonprofits across um, those five states and four states in the District of Columbia by providing highly flexible funding. And what that means is that while we have traditionally aligned programmatic support of, of our grants, we want to be responsive to what the times demand. And what we're doing is uh, we've now opened our our grant portal, accepting grant requests on a rolling basis in 2020 through about the end of August. And we are encouraging all of our nonprofit partners, those that we provided grants to over the past three years, to apply prior to May 31st. We know that there's a huge economic impact because of COVID-19 for both the short and long term. And it's essential that we focus on the basic needs of those experiencing the greatest hardships, particularly diverse and underserved communities. As our 501c3 nonprofits organizations, most of their missions are to help people either find housing stability, including emergency rental assistance and eviction prevention, nonprofit managers and their rental inventory, and and even home ownership counseling. But we're also supporting small businesses and the workers that they employ, including uh, lending and advisory services and financial health organizations to include emergency relief funds and virtual tax support, as well as financial counseling during this time. Uh, So with that said, you know, we have some bandwidth to consider nonprofits who are pivoting to address COVID-19 community needs uh, in other critical and creative ways. You know, during these difficult times as a corporate funder, I think the best thing that we can do is to be flexible and nimble to support our nonprofits when they sorely need it. So other things that we're doing, we're pausing all site visits and any other selected requirements of our nonprofit grantees. We are suspending in-person volunteer uh, activities temporarily, like many corporations across uh, the country. So we're pausing all Wells Fargo organized volunteer activities through the end of April, uh, and then we'll reevaluate at that time and hope to resume 
supporting our nonprofit partners in the spirit of volunteerism. The last thing that we did, because we know that our grant cycle calendar year may not align with an organization's calendar year or their fiscal year. And so we allowed organizations to repurpose any 2019 grants that they received from us last year to be able to use those grants in a way that makes most sense for those organizations. And so we wanted to give them authorization to best use those dollars to support the ongoing livelihood of their organization, if, if so needed. One, I had a few questions in mind that you answered while you talked. So I commend you all on what is the topic of this podcast, generosity, because you've thought of it. You've thought of what are the questions that your grantees would have, what are the needs they would have, and what we're hearing from other foundations and funders is that they need flexibility and they need to be able to use resources now as they know best and understanding that sometimes intervention can get in the way of best practices. You've foreseen that. Uh, Obviously, your 33 years has paid off. Yes, uh, I would say so. And so we were proactive in reaching out to our nonprofit partners, grantees that had received grants from the Wells Fargo Foundation over the past three years, recognizing that the game had changed for all of us. And in order to take something off their plate and allow them to focus on their mission, allow them to focus on even their staff, we felt like we needed to be proactive in communicating with them and encouraging them to get their grant proposals in to us quickly this year. We've went to a short form grant proposal in our portal this year. And so with a few clicks and typing in a little bit of information, we've allowed organizations to really streamline the grant application process this year. I know they appreciate that. That's true generosity on your part. And it probably helps you in reviewing those grants too. It really does. Yes. It can allow you to be rapid in your response if you've taken away some of the barriers or processes that people have to do. Juan, you mentioned, and I know in the past, the foundation has, the priorities have always been things like affordable housing, financial health, and small business growth. And those three alone are at the epicenter of the response that's needed right now in the wake of COVID-19. You've already made reference to, you guys were well prepared for this because you had already sort of been in this world. What have you seen, I'm curious, and some of your grantees and their responsiveness to you, have you seen great examples of this activity of utilizing the Wells Fargo investments to the good of responding to COVID? Yeah, and so I'm going to um, refer to two examples that are pretty recent. So earlier today, the North Carolina Network of Grantmakers call, Governor was on the call and shared uh, just a snippet of, of information about what those in the philanthropy community could be doing right now to support relief and recovery and, and long-term recovery uh, from this virus. And I'll paraphrase, but what the governor essentially said was, uh, you funders out there, we need you to continue to focus on your mission because, you know, a lot of the things that we are focused on didn't just happen because of COVID. They were already in place because of either some systematic or some inequalities in our communities. And so issues around housing affordability, uh, issues around access to capital for small businesses, and issues around financial health of individuals, families, communities have been there for years. And so two and a half years ago, three years ago, we worked to streamline our philanthropic strategy to focus on issues that were impacting our country, certainly our communities, but also our customers. And thus, we felt like we had the knowledge, the expertise, as well as the resources to really get at some of these issues and make some big bets, both nationally, regionally, and locally, to have some positive impact. 
in these three areas. This has really kind of emerged as a second theme throughout many of our podcast interviews recently in that this virus spread seems to have exposed a number of inequities that a lot of us knew were underlying but have become more prevalently visible now. I think it's something that's worthy of follow-up as we see what happens, and I'm sure you're starting to see what will be the outcome of that exposure as a result of this. Is that a possible silver lining in some way, a benefit? Yeah. And again, I think part of, you know, my team and and, and we meet frequently, sometimes daily, uh, mostly uh, weekly to talk about how it's going out there and the, the impacts that we're seeing. And so, again, I think we'd never wish for a pandemic on any of our uh, communities. But um, I think the silver lining in this whole story is that funders have become true collaborators. Um, and we use the term collective impact. We use the term of bringing resources together to have a greater impact across our communities. And and this is a a case where we've certainly been able to do that. We've seen organizations really step up, nonprofit organizations really step up to fill gaps where there are gaps in in lots of stimulus programs or relief programs. And um, they've provided certainly communities, small businesses, individuals and families with a lifeline, quite frankly. And so I mentioned the the governor's comments earlier. The second example I would use is just yesterday in the Wall Street Journal. uh, There was an article about the Paycheck Protection Program. That's been in the news hot and heavy over the past couple of weeks, mostly negative and some positive. Quite frankly, we knew early on because of our work uh, in disaster recovery in support of some of the hurricanes and the flooding and impact on small businesses in eastern North Carolina that we needed to ramp up support to our CDFI partners. And so we were there early to support, you know, organizations like Mountain BizWorks and Thread Capital, Carolina Small Business Development Fund, and others that we know have their thumbprint on the needs of small and minority-owned businesses. And so with that, we're, we're really pleased with the work that they were doing and certainly their work in collaboration with other funders to drive resources to those that are most in, at need at this time. You just said something I think it's pretty intriguing, and that is oftentimes the general understanding is that corporations dictate the terms of how their philanthropy is engaged in the community. And what I just heard you say, which is really unique, is that you saw the philanthropic endeavors of Wells Fargo over the years foreshadowed and forecasted what was about to transpire, and you were able to help move banking policy and decisions using the philanthropic insights as a way to drive customer service. That's completely converse to what you often think about. So what a coup for you and your team to sort of see those things in advance and helping to shape policy as it goes forward. Yeah, I think it's really important. Uh, That's a huge part of the work that we'll be doing nationally, certainly at the state level. We've already seen it here in the state of North Carolina where the legislation was approved last year for every high school student to pass a economic and financial education course, which is vitally important for, you know, individuals and families as they as they get older and grow. But we think that uh, some of the work that we've been doing from a philanthropic volunteer standpoint around financial literacy, financial health, in the early grades is when it really matters. And when folks can start to think about their wants versus their needs and budgeting and um, differentiating between what's a good sound purchase and maybe not taking into consideration what needs to be purchased at any particular time. 
So it's those kinds of things, some of the legwork, groundwork that we've been doing for a number of years that's now coming to the forefront of the impact that this pandemic and this virus is having on the population in general. As you think about the flexibility of the granting programs, the retooling of even past grants from 2019 to help them much more flexibility, how do you see Wells Fargo and the foundation partnering them going forward and staying in touch? Do you have a regular communication schedule with them or is it, say, case by case because you can't visit anymore in the near term? So how do you see that sort of continuing partnership sort of move forward? And so, Alan, what I would say is that in a lot of the markets that I'm responsible for, uh, we had started to move to grant funding cycles around primarily the three pillars of financial health, small business growth, and small business. That was the way for us to really check in with our grantees on about a quarterly basis. Now that we won't be having those grant cycles and we accelerated things in 2020, we want to give our, our nonprofit partners an opportunity to breathe and to really assess where they have made some substantial impact. Early on, we got, you know, really some tough emails from some nonprofits that were really struggling around retaining staff, how they could serve their clientele in an environment where, you know, stay at home and and social distancing um, was required. You know, really just allowing our nonprofits an opportunity to maybe, you know, take a step back, breathe and recover. Um, And we will spend time, hopefully, in the fourth quarter of this year, assessing and and having conversations with our grantees as we gear up for 2021. I was picturing, you know, if I'm a nonprofit leader sitting in my home office listening to you, I'd want to know that. I'd want to know, how do I reach out to you now? How do you want to be touched by them? I understand, I believe what you're saying is that you're serving organizations where you've granted previously, not new organizations. So for those who are your grantees, how do you want to hear from them? I think all of our grantees are well aware of ways to reach us primarily through email right now because many of us didn't have the opportunity to go into back to our offices and hit the send all call or forward office calls to your cell phone kind of thing. Yeah. Some of the grantees certainly have our cell phone numbers, which is great, but email works best, we think. We're being responsive to their questions. Our folks are working some very long hours, and so folks are in front of their computers and emails a lot. We're being proactive in some of our communications with the nonprofits as well. I think the best way for grant seekers to continue to stay in touch with their funders, um, uh, you know, is through direct email contact. But we also are on lots of distribution lists as well, um, whether uh, it's from a a development uh, director at a nonprofit or directly from the executive director or president of the organization, informing us of of some of the great work they're doing and the impact that they're having. We certainly enjoy receiving those communications also. We see so many great examples of things being done well. And just to consider CCing you as they share those communications is valuable. I would agree. One, we like to end each of our episodes with a question about generosity, because that's the theme of our topic. And we're happy to talk about other things too, but want to offer you an opportunity to share any of your favorite examples of generosity, whether current or something from the past. When we talk about generosity, what comes to your mind? You know, I mentioned earlier how we had proactively reached out to all of our grantees back in early March, middle of March. Uh, with an email communication notifying them that we were with them, we were going to stand with them, and that we were also going to be flexible and nimble throughout this year. 
And so one of the responses that we received from a nonprofit, I think really speaks to not only Wells Fargo's generosity, but the work that they are doing daily and some of the challenges that they are presented with. And so this particular email response really was expressing thanks and appreciation back to one of my team members. It was personal in a sense. These folks know each other. They've gone lunch with each other. They serve on a couple of nonprofit boards together. And so this person really said thanks for strategically looking out for the nonprofit community and that our tone, our actions uh, were spot on in every sense. And that, in their opinion, this was the best communication and set of actions that they've received from a corporate uh, social responsibility organization, corporate foundation department since the crisis began. Uh, again, I just think uh, just a short note of thank you from both the nonprofit community, the funder community, certainly the private and public sector community. We're, we're all in this together, the healthcare community. I just enjoy reading these short notes of thank you. You know, it's so heartwarming. And when you think about that $175 million in addition to all the other acts of generosity that come from your organization over time, that 175 being divided up into all these places and all the personal touches that that means. And what we see is a lot of heads of nonprofit organizations who are feeling a little lonely right now, where they might be the only person going into the office now. And they've had to make super hard decisions about staffing and budgets. And if you can say one thing to them that makes it a little bit better, I bet you get some tears on the other end. What I would certainly start off with saying is thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for your resolve, your endurance, and uh, for your uh, ability to have a can-do attitude. One of the things that I was sharing with my son earlier today was a quote by Roy T. Bennett and his book, The Light in the Heart. And so this quote reads, attitude is a choice. Happiness is a choice. Optimism is a choice. Kindness is a choice. Giving is a choice. Respect is a choice. Whatever you choose, it makes you. Whatever you choose, it makes you. So choose wisely. I know we're near the end. Alan and Claire, what I would say, I know there's been lots of conversation about the Paycheck Protection Program. And what I would say for those nonprofits out there that are Wells Fargo customers is that the online portal allowing customers to express interest in a loan with Wells Fargo and and the SBA is now open. And to eligible customers, they must have a Wells Fargo business checking account as of February 15, 2020, and be enrolled in business online banking and meet all the U.S. Small Business Administration program requirements. Wells Fargo provides regular updates and notifies customers when they begin an application for the PPP loan program and that we are committed to helping as many small businesses as possible given the realities of both this unprecedented situation and the tremendous interest in the PPP program. One other bit of news that recently came out, which I was hoping for and really saw today, was really around the CARES Act and stimulus payments. And so some folks started to receive those stimulus payments today 
their accounts today to do our part. Wells Fargo is providing our customers access to their stimulus payment funds and will pause for a 30-day period any collection of negative balancing balances existing uh, at the time when stimulus payments are deposited. So if there are any customers that had any overdrafts or fees or anything that brought their balances to a negative we will not collect any fees associated with those stimulus payments. And then finally, on the PPP program, which I'm really excited about because it increases our philanthropic budget, any fees associated with those um, Paycheck Protection Program loans, we will donate those back to the communities that we serve. I see what an impact that makes. I mean, some of us don't think about those fees, how quickly the $12.50 or $24, $25 adds up. And when I interviewed clients for Crisis Control Ministry here and saw what happened to their checking accounts, I know what an impact that has on families who are struggling for every little bit that they need. So that's great news. And I think it really reflects a little bit historically what Wells Fargo has done in its communities. I'll conclude too by just saying thank you for your time today, but thank you for the service you've done for so many not-for-profits as board member, as a leader, uh, and all your colleagues, the Wells Fargo employees that I've had the pleasure to work with over the years in various states. They are always involved. And I can't say that for every institution, but Wells Fargo always stands up and has members of the community involved in all the various boards and nonprofits that we work with. So thank you for the culture that exists in terms of your willingness to be involved in the not-for-profit sector. Well, thank you, Alan and Claire, and we're pleased to play a small part across all of our communities. Thanks, Juan. It's an important role, and we're glad to have you with us. Thank you for being a part of Generously Speaking. Great. Thanks. You've been listening to Generously Speaking from Capital Development Services, trusted advisors in philanthropy and executive search since 1984. Look for our podcast episode notes at capdev.com slash podcasts. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn.